I think the nature of the work we do is inherently quite traumatic, isn't it? I mean, we're faced day in, day out with life and death and an awful, heavy emotional content. One of the hardest burdens we can bear is an untold story. And I think that is the case for many, many, many doctors, that we have gone through circumstances, traumatic situations ourselves as individuals, and we've held those inside ourselves and not necessarily had chance to share what that was like and experience the healing that that can bring. Have you seen stuff at work which has affected you deeply? And have you experienced trauma working on the front line which you haven't fully processed yet? And do you sometimes wonder if keeping calm and carrying on as usual is possibly not the best thing to do? Working on the front line means that you are necessarily involved in the ups and downs of other people's lives and are often there to experience the best and worst of humanity. Experiencing difficult and traumatic situations can be part of the job, but for some reason we've internalised the idea that this trauma, whether primary or secondary, won't affect us like it might affect other people. And we don't afford ourselves the time, space and kindness that we need to properly process the difficult stuff we come up against almost on a daily basis. So in this podcast episode, I'm joined again by Dr. Caroline Walker, a psychiatrist specialising in the well-being of doctors to discuss how trauma affects people, particularly healthcare professionals and those working on the front line. It's fair to say that some specialities and professions deal with trauma much better than others, but all of us can take some steps to help ourselves and each other process what's happened in healthy ways, rather than turning to unhealthy coping strategies such as chocolate and Netflix. We discuss what should be in our trauma first aid kit and the difference that accessing help and treatment can make. So listen to this episode to find out what sorts of things can cause a trauma response in us, what the difference is between a normal acute trauma stress response and when it is turning into post-traumatic stress disorder. And the three things you should do immediately following any traumatic event. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and busy professionals in healthcare and other high-stress jobs who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in resilience at work. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us have found that exhaustion and stress are slowly becoming the norm. But you are not a frog. You don't have to choose between burning out or getting out. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back.
It's wonderful to have with me back on the podcast again, Dr. Caroline Walker. Welcome, Caroline. Hi, Rachel. It's really great to be here. And those of you that have not met Caroline before, Caroline is a psychiatrist trained in the NHS. She works with practitioner health. She specializes in the well-being of doctors and what else, Caroline? You are the Joyful Doctor. Yeah, I founded the Joyful Doctor nearly five years ago now. I can't believe it, how quickly that time has gone. But yeah, we help doctors with all sorts of well-being related issues through coaching and training and speaking. And you can find us on social media as well, doing a lot of anti-stigma campaigning, trying to break down that, you know, that all too common stigma around what it feels like to be a doctor who is struggling. Oh, wonderful. And it's lovely to have you here. Caroline and I do a lot of work together. We've got together really in COVID, didn't we, to produce webinars and podcasts. And we run a community for doctors together called Permission to Thrive. And that's one of the reasons I've got Caroline on today, because we did a recent webinar with our Permission to Thrive community for doctors, all about trauma. And I must say, I was quite shocked about the level of trauma that people had experienced or were experiencing in our community. Now, I know you said to me earlier that you weren't shocked at all. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the nature of the work we do is inherently quite traumatic, isn't it? I mean, we're faced day in, day out with life and death and an awful, you know, heavy emotional content, the work we do. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. And it's part of the reason I wanted us to do do the webinar and, and share about it a bit more today on this podcast episode. Because I think when you're going through something like that, you can often feel you're the only one, actually. And what we found really lovely was when we did the webinar, everybody everybody really identifying with each other and feeling less alone. You know, we had lots of comments, didn't we, saying, oh, I hadn't realised it wasn't just me. It's not just me that you know, gets home at the end of the day and just feels like, whoa, what just happened? Mm. Yeah. And I think it's interesting as well. I think the doctor community as a whole, or particularly some of the slightly older doctors like me, who can still remember what it was like to be a junior doctor in the late 90s, early noughties, have gone through a bit of a collective trauma recall, having watch the Adam Kay series, This Is Gonna Hurt on the BBC. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. I read the book quite a while ago. I love the book. The book was hilarious. And one of my friends gave it to me and said, oh, you know, Rachel, you should, you should read this. And I read it and I went back to her and said, it's all true. All yeah. this stuff. Just yeah. it is exactly how I remember it as, as a junior doctor. But for some reason, I didn't find the book quite as traumatic as watching the series, it suddenly sort of brought it all flooding back to me. And yeah. I started to think, oh my goodness, do I have all this unresolved trauma that I just haven't dealt with just from working like that? Yeah, I think a lot of us do, to be honest. I certainly remember my traumatic earlier years as well like that. I think when it's on TV like that, you get you, all your senses are flooded, aren't they? You get the, the visual and the, you can almost smell it. You know, it's almost like smell of vision like kind of remembering what it was like to walk the corridors of the hospitals and, and all the different bodily fluids everywhere and all of that stuff. And it just brings it, it, it taps into our brains in a much more visceral way and kind of makes us relive things, I think. Whereas the book, you can sort of slightly stay a bit distant from it. And there is a lot more more humour, generally. The TV series, certainly I heard from a lot of doctors who found it quite traumatic and many who still haven't actually been able to watch it because they're just sort of avoiding it and aversive to anything that's too close to home. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, looking back as a junior doctor, there were some really, really difficult times, particularly on Labour Ward, working in A&E. And, you know, I, I don't work on the front line anymore. 
as a GP, you do see quite a lot of stuff, but not quite as much as you see day to day, that very visceral stuff in A&E. But, but you do have to deal with the trauma of seeing families' reactions and families yeah. coping with death and bad news yeah. and all that, that, that sort of I, thing. I think you get a lot more what we call secondary trauma, that kind of hearing about it or witnessing the impact it's having on someone. And, and actually, we can be traumatised by that ourselves as well. And I think it's important we don't minimise that because we get that, as I say, day in, day out as doctors. You know, And it's not just you physically being there present when something traumatic happens, even just hearing about it or reading about it. I remember reading a particularly traumatising discharge summary from a, a psychiatric patient once that really stuck with me and still still sticks with me today because of the graphic description of the things that had happened to this person in their life. So, yeah, I think when we start to talk about trauma, which we don't very often, we often avoid talking about it, it all comes out the woodwork, doesn't it? The medical trauma that we experience, that kind of loss of control in scary situations, the loss of life, loss of limb, all of that stuff, but also the non-medical stuff as well. Of course, as doctors, we all experience the same trauma as everyone else does as well, you know, sudden bereavements and car accidents and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's far-reaching and I think not talked about enough amongst doctors and healthcare professionals. And do you think there's a difference between the trauma you experience on the front line in your everyday work? So if you're working in the emergency department, you will see people with sudden death, you will see people who've come in with road traffic accidents and people who have had really horrible things happen to them in your professional life. But then if something happens to you in your personal life outside of work, is there any difference between the reactions that you have or is it all really one and the same? I think it can feel more personal. (laughs) It can feel more like it kind of, it has a greater meaning sometimes but but actually interestingly the way the brain responds to trauma it doesn't distinguish so if you're going to get a trauma an unhelpful trauma response so you say something like PTSD, that could happen from either it doesn't distinguish between a what we might see as a mild trauma or a severe trauma it doesn't matter it doesn't matter where it happens who it's happening to you can still get the same sorts of responses so i would say you might at the moment experience it in the at the time it's happening slightly differently if it's personal but but actually the impact it has on the brain it doesn't doesn't distinguish between the two yeah i can totally get that and yes i mean we've both had experiences of trauma haven't we yeah yeah you've had sort of more longer term ptsd and i've had which would be really interesting to hear about in a minute and i've had i've shared this in various places an incident of a, a cardiac arrest out out of hospital cardiac arrest where i was the only doctor present and it was, you know, in the middle of nowhere with, with somebody I knew. Um, and yeah. it had a happy ending. We did manage to resuscitate this this person, but it was really shocking at the time yeah. for all sorts of reasons, not just that it was awful seeing that happen to them. Yeah. But I think that responsibility of thinking, I'm, I'm the only doctor here. I'm yeah. I'm in charge. What happens if? What happens if? Yeah. And I had a much more severe reaction than I ever thought. I would have had to that. I mean, initially yeah. it was like up and down and up and down and just crying for absolutely no reason for yeah. a couple of weeks, getting very triggered by by loud noises. About a week after I went clay pigeon shooting for somebody's yeah. birthday and, you know, they showed us how to do it and I got this gun and I shot this thing and that was it. I could not cope. I was like, I'm yeah. out of here. Literally yeah. ran out, yeah. Yeah. which is very yeah. unlike me. Is that normal? Yeah. 
Totally normal. Yeah, I think what you had, Rachel, was a what we'd call a normal trauma response or a normal stress response. So the first couple of weeks are the worst and you can feel completely preoccupied, thinking about what happened, very on edge, very sensitive to noises and things. Yeah, it's a very horrible experience, actually, and people think they're going mad often. But what happens, and I, I think happened in your case, doesn't it? It kind of just gradually, gently settles over the next sort of four to six weeks. And that's, as I say, most people will have that kind of response. And we saw it recently with with the war in the Ukraine. A lot of people watching that unfold on television in this country helped, had a mild trauma response. You know, they were very preoccupied, on edge, difficulty sleeping. But it gradually settles over a few weeks for most people. If it doesn't, then you might be thinking about wanting to go and talk with somebody about it because you may have developed one of the less helpful trauma responses. That's interesting because the other thing I found that, you know, it was a while ago now. It was maybe three months ago. And I feel I feel right as rain. But there have been a couple of instances where I've reacted really weirdly that's really yeah. triggered me. So on, I was walking on the street and someone was on the floor having a fit. They had people around them and they had Goodness. there was an ambulance just pulled up. And I, I stopped. I said, do you need help? And they said, no, we're fine. This person was safe. There were literally the paramedics yeah. were there. But I... Uh, I immediately did. It was a really weird reaction. And I thought, gosh, maybe I'm not as well as I thought I was. Well, again, I think it's quite normal in the months after a particularly traumatic event to just be a little bit more on edge and a bit more sensitive. It's like your nervous system is just a bit more on heightened alert. So when another, you know, you might bump your car, a gentle little bump in your car that wouldn't normally bother you, actually you get a really strong physical reaction to you. You might get, you know, suddenly your heart's pounding and then your throat and and you feel a bit on edge and it takes a little while to settle down. It's incredibly common. That should, over time, again, just gradually ease and you'll get back to a normal baseline. But if it's happening all the time or it's interfering with your life or it's really bothering you, then then that's the time to think about maybe getting some some help to talk mm-hmm. it through. And I think what you did, Rachel, was great. You, you mentioned it to close friends like myself and we just chatted it through. And that's, that's the key thing. If you want to talk about it and talk about it, if you don't, then you don't have to. In fact, there's some evidence that forcing yourself to talk about it if you don't want to is unhelpful and can actually make it worse. So in those first few weeks and months, just, you know, talk if you want to, don't if you don't. Mm. Now, I'm very aware that what I witnessed and what I had to deal with was just a one-off. And hopefully I will never have to deal with anything like that again. But Mm. what about people that it is their job just to deal with this again and again and again? How How do they cope? Well, a variety of, of measures. I mean, we all, to some degree, get a bit accustomed to repeated trauma on some level, as all doctors, I think, do. I think over time, you just habituate. You kind of just get, it becomes your new normal. I think some of us reach for slightly unhealthy coping strategies sometimes. You might have a cheeky bad day. You might go home and have an extra glass of wine or extra few bars of chocolate. Or you might shut yourself away from the world for a bit. And and a little bit of that is absolutely fine. It's not problematic. But I think, again, if you're noticing you're doing that a lot, so every night you're kind of shutting yourself away from the world. I know I was doing that for a time when I had my PTSD. I was mugged a couple of times, once at medical school and, and once as a doctor. And and I just became quite withdrawn, you know, and I, I stopped wanting to go out and about, particularly at night or where unknown places. And just drinking a little bit more than usual. And, and at the time, sadly, I didn't have any idea what was going on. You know, I didn't place the two together because they'd happened a little bit apart, which is often, you know, the case that you might think you've got over the initial trauma a bit. But then a few months later, you find yourself a bit more withdrawn and struggling again. 
that's where again talking with someone can help piece it together for you as it did for me and it's important to remember that trauma is really treatable if you are struggling with say PTSD or one of the other trauma responses it's absolutely respondents to really well to treatment compared to other conditions so people often feel a bit hopeless like they're always gonna be carrying this with them and and feeling on edge but you don't have to you can get help that's good to know that it's pretty treatable Mm-hmm. Caroline, I did just want to ask you, because obviously being mugged, you can go, yeah, that's traumatic. Having to resuscitate someone, yeah, that's pretty traumatic. Seeing somebody come in who's been in a car crash in, in the emergency department, that's really traumatic as well. But I think what we realised on the webinar that it was all sorts of different traumas that people were ex- were experiencing. And, and maybe yeah. they were thinking, well, I shouldn't really be traumatised by that. But commonly, what sorts of things are are you noticing with your patients that, that that people are experiencing that they are having a trauma response to, but maybe they wouldn't recognise it because it's not necessarily the thing you would associate with trauma? Sometimes it can take a bit of digging around <laughs> to think, you know, what was going on around the time or what was going on a few months ago. I think the themes we see coming through are things like situations where people feel a sense of being out of control. So perhaps they're witnessing something or that they can't do anything about. That can be really tough, particularly for doctors and healthcare professionals who who love to be helpful and love to try to prevent bad things happening. We also see people struggling when something happens very suddenly. So, you know, you're going along okay, you think everything's all right, and then out of the blue, suddenly there's something in front of you, like the person in the street or things like in medicine, we see a lot of things like esophageal bleeds, stuff that happen very suddenly, very dramatically, where there's a lot of heightened emotion around, generally, can be really quite overwhelming. But we had a lot, didn't we, Rachel? People just remembering, you know, patients that had died young. That's another common one, actually, in, in medicine. Um, things that seem unjustified, things that have a, a meaning behind them. Like it felt unfair that this happened to that person. That can often sit very uncomfortably with doctors. Yeah, so we see a lot of common medical themes, but also non-medical stuff as well. You know, a lot of transgenerational trauma, particularly in doctors from other cultures who've perhaps come over to work here, but bringing with them, you know, stories of familial, their families going through war or being made homeless or, you know, all these sort of awful life traumas, if you might call them, going on as well as well as the other things like abuse, domestic abuse, incredibly common amongst doctors as well and not talked about. So, yeah, it can be really anything. Absolutely anything that – trauma essentially is anything that's going to threaten your sense of safety or integrity, your sense of self, your sense of um, safety in the world. And it doesn't have to have a bad ending like you witnessed with your cardiac arrest. You know, you said it was – that was what I was going to mention. You said it was it had a happy ending. So you might think, well, that's okay then. I'm not going to be traumatised. But of course, the experience itself was traumatic. And you didn't know it was going to have a happy ending at the time. Yeah. When it was actually going on, there would have been a lot of thoughts going through your mind you may or may not have been aware of that were really catastrophic and really awful, you know, facing Mm. the death of a friend and wondering how you were going to cope with that. And that even a happy ending doesn't necessarily take that away. Whereas actually coming and talking with someone can really help to settle those symptoms down. Interestingly, we were at a conference recently, weren't we, when we're hearing about doctors and frontline healthcare workers in COVID and the the trauma that people were experiencing through seeing people dying, which is traumatic anyway, but specifically seeing people dying alone and not being able to speak with their loved ones. So that that was interesting to me that 
people were actually identifying that as trauma. And I just wonder how many other people have been feeling really awful having seen that, but not realise that they're having a, a trauma response to that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it doesn't have to directly impact on you. Again, it can be something you witness in others and seeing them go through something incredibly traumatic. I remember we listened to Rachel Clark speaking, didn't we? Beautifully, the, the palliative care doctor and author who, who spoke about this moment. She realised that when these patients came in in COVID, they were masked up, all the, all the staff were masked up. And this realisation that for many of them who were going to go on to die, that they would never see another human face again before their death. And, and that, you know, in itself, just the thought of that was traumatic enough, you know. So, yeah, I think there is a lot of un spoken trauma and trauma we don't realize is trauma and she shared that beautiful Maya Angelou quote didn't she that one of the hardest burdens we can bear is an untold story and I think that is the case for many 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 doctors that we have gone through circumstances traumatic situations ourselves as individuals and we've held those inside ourselves and not necessarily had chance to share what that was like and experience the healing that that can bring Mm. And I think for for doctors and other people on the front line, it is part of the job. And so we often have that mindset, well, because it's part of the job, I just accept it. I just bury it and I just just get on with it. Mm. And I'm thinking that's probably not so helpful. But on the other hand, you can't be debriefing and talking through everything that you see. Otherwise, you'd just be doing it all the time. You spend your entire life in therapy, right? Yeah, yeah. And you don't need to. I mean, you really don't need to talk about everything. I think it's just a matter of if you notice something is staying with you or is bothering you, then you might want to think about talking about that. So whether and it doesn't have to be with a professional. okay? actually, most trauma processing happens between friends and family members. You need at home at the end of the day and you you offload that you had a tough day with your flatmates or your partner. and, And that's absolutely fine as well. Not everybody needs professional help. I think if you're finding it very hard to talk about it but you have a sense that you probably need to then that can be a good time to come and get professional help because we have ways to to really supportively help people to open up and and go to that horrible scary place but in a safe way that Mm. is going to help them to feel better Mm. so a lot of the stress responses we have are normal stress responses but earlier you were telling me that there's the normal stress response, there's an acute stress reaction, there's PTSD, yeah, and there's other yeah. stuff. How do you know the difference between all of these ones? Well, first of all, most of us will have a normal stress response. So similar to you had first two to six weeks, preoccupied, on edge, not sleeping, but it all settles down gradually over a few weeks. If it's not settling or if it's really severe, so it's kind of really getting in the way of you being able to go about your day-to-day life, you might be having what we call an acute stress response. So that's usually in the first few days and it's so severe that you, you almost go into like a daze or it's the kind of thing you see on movies, you know, when people have been through something traumatic and they look a bit like a bit shocked and dazed and they can't function. That might be an acute stress response. If you're getting symptoms longer term, so things like reliving experiences where you feel like you're back at that time when that trauma was happening, either in your body or you're getting images or or nightmares, and that's happening longer term, say over several weeks or months, and not getting any better, then you might be developing what we call post-traumatic stress disorder, where you get three main symptoms, essentially reliving experiences, hyper arousal so that's kind of being really on edge jumpy 
not maybe not being able to sleep as well, a bit irritable, and avoidance is another classic thing with trauma that we get. So you might be avoiding driving down the road where the accident happened, or avoiding going to work, or avoiding seeing certain patients. We sometimes see that in you know in A and E or something. You might be cherry picking off different patients because it's you, you can't face seeing that particular condition, things like that. So yeah, if you're if you're identifying with any of those symptoms, avoidance, hyperarousal or reliving experiences over a period of time, then you might well be experiencing a bit of PTSD. And again, really worth knowing, it is incredibly treatable. It's not the easiest thing to face. So you might find yourself very, very nervous going to get help. But I promise you it'd be the best thing you ever do. You know, it was certainly the best thing I ever did. I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not a frog.com slash quiz and what is the treatment for ptsd so mainstay of treatments is, is talking therapy based treatments either trauma focused cbt where they get you to essentially talk through what happened in a particular way which is helpful to for the brain to file away the memory in in a calmer way what is something called emdr um eye movement desensitization which where you kind of you might have seen it people talk about you know finger wagging and and or tapping on different sides and it's again they just get you to kind of relive what happened whilst getting your brain to process it in a, in a more helpful way and these are both about 85 percent effective in treating ptsd so really really effective there are some medications that can help but they don't tend to kind of cure or treat the PTSD they tend to help with some of the other symptoms so they might help with a bit with the low mood and majoral or the anxiety or they might make it just a bit easier for you to go and have the therapy but I'd say the mainstay is yeah different types of talking therapy and for a normal stress response and a, an acute stress reaction presumably you don't necessarily need therapy just just no. talking and resting yeah. and being kind yeah. to yourself and all that sort of thing yeah yeah, definitely. Normal stress response, just reassure yourself. So I had this, as someone with PTSD, I, I consider myself to have a bit of a vulnerable brain to trauma. So when, when traumatic things happen, I'm a little bit more sensitive than someone who hasn't had PTSD. And I remember when the war broke out in the Ukraine, I started to get a few nightmares. But it was okay, because I was able to reassure myself. I was able to say, okay, this is normal. It's all right. This is probably going to get better over a few weeks. And so if you can just reassure yourself, stay connected as well to your normal support networks so stay talking to your family and your friends going about your day-to-day life as normal that will help your body and brain kind of reground itself into the present moment and not be so caught up in the trauma with an acute stress reaction that more severe acute reaction you need a bit of care and support you're probably going to need someone around you to help you kind of you know eat and drink and get back on track for a few days and then your natural healing mechanisms will kick in and you'll carry on processing like as normal usually Mm. and i know you've mentioned some other types of reactions that we can have what what else have you seen yeah so very commonly you get things like depression about yeah about 40 or 50 percent of people with ptsd will have depression as well you might get rarely you get like a psychotic response so if somebody's got an underlying illness so like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia it might 
trigger them into an episode. They're a little more rare. The most common ones we see are the the normal stress response, which we try not to medicalise and treat, as you say, PTSD, and then, yeah, things like depression alongside it, quite common. Mm. Thank you. So good to, I guess, recognise which one you might be in, really, and then... Yeah, although it's often hard to do that. So I would right. say if you're not sure, get help, you know, because having it's often very difficult for you to know because you're often in it. So you're feeling the fear and you're feeling all the symptoms, but you're not quite sure what's what. And what is this normal? Is this not? If you're not sure, then do just come and ask, get some help to your GP. Or if you're a doctor, they can come to one of the to the practitioner health service, for example, to mm. have an assessment. And so what should you do? So say you're at work tomorrow, something's come in. It was really stressful, really traumatic. Ah, and you think to yourself, right, I want to I want to do this right. I want to make sure that I'm self-aware and looking after myself. What, what tips do you have? Yeah. Maybe so at that, the time, at the time, yeah. and then a bit after. Yeah. So at, it's a bit like physical health problems. At the time, you need an emergency first aid kit, really. So for trauma, I'd say the first things you need to do are to connect with somebody else connect with somebody uh, uh, whether it's sending a text to a friend or going next door to talk to a colleague or just just reground yourself by connecting with anybody anybody in your circle and we know that this is really important from things like you know major disasters from natural like floods and earthquakes and terrorist attacks and stuff that the most important thing you can do for someone who's just been through something really traumatic is connect them with their support network so connect with anyone that's your a a if we're going to do an abc connect with anyone B is for breathing. So remember, this is a, a trauma response. It's often a very physical response. It's you're in your sympathetic nervous systems going into overload. So you want to bring yourself back down into parasympathetic mode. So a bit of slow, rhythmic breathing, something like box breathing would be really good or whatever your go-to breathing exercises. Just a quick note, about one in 10 people find breathing exercises make them more anxious. If that's you, focus on something else like your fingertips or your toes. But just focusing on something slowly and calmly for a little bit will help. And third one, the ABC, the C, is cancel some stuff. Cancel what you can, because for that first few days to a couple of weeks, you're going to be feeling more on edge, more stressed. You're going to be struggling to try and take some stuff off your plate. Look ahead to the next day, the next few weeks. Think, okay, what could I put off? What could I postpone or what could I cancel? So A, B, C, connect with anyone, breathe, ground yourself and C is to cancel some stuff. Mm. I think that cancel stuff is really important. I was couple of weeks ago I felt quite overwhelmed and I I just had a very very busy week and I looked through just cancelling a few things made all the difference to the week and and I know nobody wants to be flaky and we want to keep the things that we said we would keep but sometimes people don't mind saying actually do you mind if we put that back a week or do do you mind you know you can ask and oh we love it I absolutely love it when someone cancels on me. I'm like, wow, I've got I've got an hour free to do something else. It's amazing. But we do have yeah. such an aversion of cancelling stuff. I think maybe we're so responsible, aren't we? And 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 cancelling patients is is awful. Yeah. You don't you don't yeah. like doing that. But other people don't really mind, particularly if there's quite a good reason for it or or, or yeah. whatever. And actually, you've got to think what you're going to feel like if you don't, because mm. if you carry on as normal with all the stresses and strains of a normal day-to-day life as a busy doctor, maybe you're a mum or caring for others as well. Like, you know, it's 
really tough and you're not going to give your brain the space it needs to process what just happened. And that's going to leave you at risk of developing things down the line, like the PTSD and the depressions and, and actually you're going to end up needing to take more time off anyway. So actually it's the best thing you can do for everybody is to just look after yourself in that immediate aftermath. Just go really gently, be really super kind to yourself and reassure yourself. It's completely normal to be off your game for a couple of weeks and, and let things settle. If, as I say, down the line, things aren't settling, then that's when it's probably worth coming and finding someone to have a chat through what's going on. See if there is, it would be helpful to have some more kind of formal treatment support. I was just thinking when we talk about the cancelling thing, one of the reasons I don't cancel stuff is a bit of FOMO, a bit of fear of missing out. But what I'm yeah. really trying to embrace at the moment is a bit of JOMO. Having read that oh, 4,000 yes. Weeks book, Oliver Burton, yeah. and if people haven't read that yet, just go get oh, it, go read it. Fantastic. Isn't it good? And the, the TED Talk's great. It's brilliant on audio. He has a lovely voice to listen to as well. But yeah, just important JOMO. that we focus on joy of missing out yes that actually not doing that thing means leaves you open to really prioritizing and focusing and enjoying other things yeah we can't do everything and and if you need to cancel some stuff to look after yourself that's really really important yeah and caroline i did want to ask you you know what if you are in a department that regularly has debriefs or or knows that yep. if something really dreadful's happened it's good to have a team debrief i mean what's the role of debriefing in all of this yeah, so really, really interesting question. So we know actually that forced debriefing of individuals after a traumatic event can actually be harmful, can have made things worse. But team debriefing, and not really immediately, I mean, we, they do suggest you do it as sort of close a time as possible to the to the event, but not like literally five minutes later, usually sort of end of the shift or, or within a few days or having getting the team together and allowing a non-mandatory space where people can talk through what's happened can be really helpful and I think there's different types of debriefing right there's kind of clinical debriefing the kind of what did we do wrong what could we do better that sort of stuff that's not so much that's fine that doesn't really stray into the realms of, of the psychological processing and the more sort of helping somebody with the mental and emotional impact of trauma for that you need a sort of a say non-mandatory gentle space an invitation to say look do you come along if you want to talk about it you can if you don't want to you don't have to you can listen to the rest of the team that can be really quite helpful and for that sort of thing often it can be helpful to leave a little bit of time maybe a few days or a week or so just for people to get that tiny bit of distance from the original traumatic event and have a bit of time to just think and process again really important it's not mandatory though it's not like you, you know it might be mandatory to go to the meeting but don't force people to talk you know you don't need to go around the room and get every single person to share what they're feeling some people will want to talk some won't and that's okay mm-hmm. and just signposting at that point can be really helpful as well you know if you find yourself struggling or if you don't want to come to this there is this other option you could get one-to-one to chat through what's happened i think it's really important that we recognize that we can do this for our colleagues as well i yeah. do remember uh, quite a few years ago one of my close colleagues died very suddenly and we came into work the next week he wasn't there and everyone was just sort of sat at their at their yeah. desk and no one really said anything and I think eventually someone said let's go get a coffee and 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 then we did and and, and we talked a bit but yeah. I think some people don't know what to do don't know what to say and just yeah. sort of get on with stuff so if you can be the person going yeah. hey guys I think we just need to go get some donuts and sit down and and just have a coffee what do you yeah, think and obviously yeah. like you said don't force people but you can be the one that suggests it as well it doesn't need to be official does it 
No, absolutely not. And I think actually, as I said earlier, we we heal best when we're in connection with our normal support network, our friends, our family. Our, it's the reason why in, in really traumatic situations, people, the first thing people do is they ring, you know, they get their mobiles out and they desperately ring their loved ones to tell them, you know, how much they love them, things like that, because we naturally heal through connecting with our tribes. So, yeah, it can be your, your colleagues at work can absolutely do that for you. And I I mean, I remember still an awful story of I heard about a doctor that very sadly was unwell, nobody realised, and had got quite depressed and ended up dying by suicide at their own hands in it on shift in the hospital. And the on-call team, doctors and nurses, were obviously called as a cardiac arrest to come and try to resuscitate this doctor and were unable to. And then they were just expected to go back about their day, their, their job. And and I think that's always stayed with me. Unbelievable. Like, yeah, total lack of recognition of the impact that that kind of thing can have on a team. And and of course, you're going to have to think about, you know, the short term safety management of the patients in the hospital. But yeah, I think just recognising that when something that difficult happens to us, we need a little bit of space and time and connection with others. But yeah, you can do that for one another. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And I think, yes, that, that C applies to work as well. If you can cancel some work or say, I need not to yeah. be here right now or recognise yeah. for other people. And I, yeah. I remember when we were doing this webinar, actually, with the Permission to Thrive guys, people were saying, oh, what should we do if someone's refusing to go home or not taking any yeah. time off? What, what, what should we do? And that was quite a tricky one. Yeah, it is really tricky, isn't it? Because, I mean, essentially, if they are still safe to be working, then there is nothing you can do. I think I think if you feel that there is safety issues, then you kind of have to override that, right, and just make sure someone isn't providing patient care. But, but it's rare that that's the case, actually. Usually, if people are really unsafe, they will actually take themselves off because they realise that they can't concentrate or focus or, yeah. yeah. What's more common is that somebody's perhaps trundling along with a little bit of baseline low level trauma symptoms and they're just getting by and maybe they're just surviving and they're just kind of getting through and and often then with as doctors and and healthcare professionals we tend to be like oh I'll I'll be all right I'll just get through to my next holiday or yeah again do you know I think one of the most helpful things we can do is role model and normalize and just say look I've I've struggled and I got some help and it really helped me or, hey, I heard about this great service, Practitioner Health, you know, you thought you could give them a call maybe sometime or just checking in with people will help to keep them connected. And and sometimes it just takes time, you know. I think we time is a great healer with all things. It doesn't, it won't completely cure PTSD. It might make it slightly more livable with. So I would say if it's been years and years, it is still worth going to get treatment and support. Yeah, just a bit of role modelling, normalising it's okay. Can I help? You know, just that normal basic human compassion can be really, really mm-hmm. yeah, helpful. In my experience, I think people also just carry on and, and don't stop because they're feeling guilty about leaving their colleagues in the lurch. So if you are one of yeah. those colleagues and you know that that person's just experienced some trauma or something really difficult's just happened, just saying to them, look, it's totally fine. You go home, yeah. we'll cover. Don't Give them worry. permission. Yeah. yeah. Permission yeah. to cancel, permission to go home. Yeah, because we need sometimes we need that from others when we're in that situation. We can't give ourselves permission to go home, so mm. um, we need it from others. Yeah. And yeah. speaking of permission, I think we were hoping anyone listening to this might want to come along to our our next Permission to Thrive webinar. Remind me when that is, Rachel. Is it, yes. So a we've got a, a free webinar on the fourteenth of July at eight o'clock, and that is 
all about how you give yourself permission to do all this stuff as a doctor, permission to thrive, permission to deal with your trauma, permission to take time out where you need to, because we're not very good at doing it, quite frankly. No, no we're, we're, we're great looking after other people, aren't we? But struggle a bit when it comes to ourselves. And, and it isn't easy as a doctor when you've got people waiting in the waiting room and, and tasks on your to-do list that need doing. So it's we really like to give sort of lots and lots of different practical tips that, you know, you can try them out, see which ones work for you and which ones don't, you know, take what you like and leave the rest. So, yeah, we've got we've got the webinar coming up. You said the 14th, 14th of July, July, 8 o'clock. Lovely. And then I think we're starting on six monthly webinars series on the 19th, 19th of July at eight o'clock again. Lovely. And we start by thinking about how we design a life that we love. Because so rarely as, as doctors and health professionals, we get time to sit back and actually think about what do we want and what little changes could make a difference. So, yeah, if you'd like to join us, we'd love to see you there. Yeah, so do check out the links in the show notes. Join us for the free webinar. If you're interested in the Permission to Thrive membership, then click on the link there. It's such a lovely, warm, warm community full of people that have been through it all, that are wanting yeah. to support each other. and and give themselves permission. We, we talk about the G word a lot. We talk about the guilt a lot, don't we? Mm-hmm. And how we yeah. embrace that guilt rather than just yeah, be, cr- it be crippled by it otherwise. Absolutely. It means we're not psychopaths. If you feel guilty, it means you're a good person and you care and you want to do more. So how do we do that? How do we keep giving, but without the sacrifice of our own well-being? Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So We'll put all those links in the show notes. Caroline, I think we need to wrap up. But before we go, what would your top three tips be for coping with trauma when you're working on the front line or or in any job where you're experiencing people in distress, I think? Mm. I think number one would be just to normalise that actually it is really hard to experience some of the stuff we experience. Number two would be if if you want to talk about it, you know, with anyone that you feel you can trust. And number three is just keep a gentle eye on those coping strategies that might actually, it might be helping short term, but might be making things a bit worse in the long run. So things like the excess alcohol or avoidance or drink, eating, things like that. And if any of those things are bothering you, yeah, just reach out for help because it really is effective in, in treating trauma. Does binge watching Netflix at one in the morning count as an unhelpful <laughs> <coping> strategy? <laughs> Again, short term, brilliant. Longer term, if you're doing it every night, probably going to not be helpful. So, yeah, I think normalise. It's absolutely fine. We all do it, right? But, uh, yeah, just keeping an eye if it's creeping up or if it's causing you problems, you're then running late or you're knackered. And uh, then, yeah, that's the time to think about whether this might be something you need to face with a bit of support and help. Brilliant. Great. Well, do check the links in the show notes and caroline if people wanted to get a hold of you find out more about what you do how can they do that no they can check out joyfuldoctor.com or we're across all of social media as joyful doctor and they can email me at teamjoy at joyfuldoctor.com brilliant thank you so much for being with us and we'll speak to you again soon thanks so much for having me rachel bye, bye. For now. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.